You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. The answer to the question was no. The summer of 1997, I was an intern with the organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. And they gathered all the interns together and presented to us a pamphlet that was written by the founder of Campus Crusade named Bill Bright. And the title of the pamphlet was this, Have You Made the Wonderful Discovery of the Spirit-Filled life? And my answer was, no. I've not heard much about the Spirit-filled life. And they taught us the principles from that pamphlet, and it was life-changing. This morning in our Bible study class, we talked about moments in our lives when someone was preaching or teaching the Bible to us, and it was a life-changing moment. This was one of those moments for me. It was a paradigm-shifting moment for me where I came to understand and realize the importance of the role of the Holy Spirit in my daily life. About the same time, I came across a book by Charles Stanley titled, The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life. And I thought, well, Lord's trying to teach me something here. And those principles that I learned back in those days that were so instrumental and are instrumental in my life even today are principles that I want to share with you this morning that come straight from Ephesians chapter 5. So I want you to turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. We're going to talk about the wonderful discovery of the Spirit-filled life. When you found your place, I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, which I will remind you is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul writes, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for yet another opportunity to gather as a faith family. Lord, to worship you in spirit and in truth. To rejoice in our relationship with you. 
to exult in the truths of the gospel. And to have this moment, Lord, this precious holy moment where we study your word. Knowing that you're going to speak to us through your word. And apply it to our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, have your way in our midst. Touch our hearts, change our lives. For the glory of King Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. In the first part of the book of Ephesians, specifically chapters 1 through 3, Paul details our wealth in Christ. All of the spiritual blessings that are ours when we come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. The second half of the book, chapters 4 through 6, are about our walk with Christ. How we ought to live in response to all that Jesus has done and is doing in us. And here in chapter 5, Paul spends a lot of time concerning himself with the lifestyle of the Christians in Ephesus. To Paul, it mattered how Christians conduct their lives. He says in chapter 5, you're to imitate God. You're to let your light shine. You're to make the most of the time God has given you. Paul wants these believers to understand that your your lifestyle, listen, your lifestyle is a reflection of the condition of your relationship with God. Your lifestyle impacts others. And so Paul wants to understand that the way they live their Christian life flat matters. And now he's going to share the secret that empowers That kind of Christian living. If you're going to live, and here's the thesis statement on the front end. If you're going to live a godly, Christ-honoring life, you must be filled with the Spirit. Let me say it again. If you're going to live a godly, Christ-honoring life, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of folks are like the, the folks in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Paul showed up in Ephesus, and there were a group of people who were believers in Christ. They had been baptized. And and Paul said, when you were baptized, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And these believers in Ephesus said, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Who are you talking about? And a lot of Christians have that same kind of mentality. They, They maybe have heard about the Holy Spirit, but they don't know much about Him at all or the daily reality of the Spirit in their lives. So Paul, again, is going to share how critical it is that the Holy Spirit fills you up and fills me up so we can live a life that reflects the glory of Christ. And what I want to do is I want to discuss with you three spiritual stages that we go through to experience the Spirit-filled life in a way that it impacts Others. Three spiritual stages. Here's stage number one. It's simply the word empty. Before you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, you must be empty. Now look what it says there in Ephesians 5 verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There are two commands in this verse. The first is, do not get drunk with wine. The second command is, be filled with 
the Spirit. And this idea of getting drunk with wine is, is elaborated on by Paul when he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Some translations say dissipation. The word there means excess, excessive, uh, crossing the line. The, the Greek word means behavior which shows lack of concern or thought for the consequences of an action. It can be translated senseless deeds or reckless deeds or recklessness. And, and Paul says, don't get drunk with wine. That leads to that kind of lifestyle, a reckless lifestyle, reckless behavior. It is excessive. In other words, we should not let wine or, by extension, anything else control us. And there's a lot of discussion about Drinking in uh, the church today, uh, not just this church, but, but every church discusses this idea of the, the role that alcohol has or should have or should not have in the life of a Christian. Uh, I, I don't drink at all. I'm a, a teetotaler because I believe that alcohol is destructive and it destroys lives. So I want to stay, steer clear and, and want to maintain a clear witness before others. So, so I don't drink. But I know that within the body of Christ there are people that say, well, well, you, you, can, you can drink a little bit here and a little bit there. But, but whatever your belief is on that, and this is not the time to preach that because that's not the main point of the passage. But whatever your belief is on that, you've got to come to the conclusion, if you believe the Bible, that getting drunk is sin. Getting drunk is a sin. It's very, very clear. Do not get drunk with wine. And here's the deal. Drunkenness is when alcohol begins to control you in any way, shape, or form. And I think you and I would agree that it doesn't take much at all to begin to control your thoughts, your motor skills, your speech. It doesn't take much at all. And so this passage is clear. Do not get drunk with wine. And here's the point. You should not let alcohol or by extension anything else control you. That's the point that he's making. In other words, if you're going, listen, to be filled with the Spirit, you can't be filled with other stuff. Or as it says in your notes, in order to experience the fullness of God, we must be empty. Let me say it again. In order to experience the fullness of God, we must be empty. This means that you and I should empty ourselves of anything that controls us. Anything, listen, that is more ultimate in your life than Jesus. Now this speaks of two different areas. Over in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says, if you're going to run with endurance the race that is before you, you must lay aside two things. Number one, you must lay aside sin which tangles you up. If you're trying to run the race and you've got sin in your life that you've not dealt with, it will tangle you up and keep you from moving forward in your Christian life. You've got to deal with sin. But then in Hebrews 12.1, the writer says, not only should you lay aside sin which entangles, you should lay aside every encumbrance that weighs you down. You've seen track and field events. The runners don't wear much. Their clothing is very light so they can move quickly and, and run with endurance. You don't, you don't run a, a track and field event with an overcoat on, do you? And the writer of Hebrews says, lay aside every weight which can slow you down from moving forward. Listen to me. An encumbrance 
can be something that is good, not necessarily a sin. Something that is good that has become more important to you than Jesus. It speaks of wrongly ordered priorities. It means that there are things on your priority list that are higher than Jesus, more important than Jesus. And back in Ephesians chapter 5, the point is this. If you want the filling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you need to get things out of your life that are filling you up instead of the Holy Spirit. This could speak of sin. This could speak of wrongly ordered priorities. Whatever it is, whatever's more ultimate in your life than Jesus, you need to empty yourself of it. Now, the Bible gives us this wonderful, wonderful discipline and practice called confession where we can deal with this and do this. Over in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's what that means for you and for me. If there's anything in your life more ultimate than Jesus, anything in your life more important than Jesus, anything that's tangling you up and weighing you down from moving forward in your Christian life, come Clean before God. Get alone with Him and confess it as sin and confess it as wrongly ordered priorities and ask God to empty you of those things that are prohibiting Him from filling you. Confess it. Just talk to the Lord about it. Ask God to take it out of your life. And when that happens, you have come to a place of spiritual emptiness. See, a lot of us aren't filled with the Holy Spirit because there's just too much junk in our lives. You know, over in John chapter 7, Jesus pictured the Holy Spirit as a mighty, rushing river. He said, from your innermost being will flow rivers of what? What? Living what? Water from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And the Bible says in John 7, he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. So the work of the Spirit in our life is like a mighty rushing river. But listen to me. I don't care how how wide a river is, how strong a river is. If you put enough rocks in that river, eventually it will dam it up. And it will cease to flow and to move. And if you've got a lot of things in your life, wrong priorities, sin that you've not dealt with, and it's in your heart, it begins to dam up the work of the Spirit who wants to flow freely through your life. So when I say you need to empty yourself, here's what I'm saying. You need to go do some heart work and get those rocks out of your life. Confess them before the Lord. And when that begins to happen, The Spirit now is free to flow in and through you. The first spiritual stage is emptiness. Are you empty of self? Are you empty of sin? Are you empty of stuff? Are you ready for the Spirit of God to have His way? Here's the second stage. The first is empty. The second is filled. (laughs) Look back with me in Ephesians 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, excess, dissipation. But, here's the contrast, be filled with the Spirit. 
Drinking, our relationship with alcohol, is not the main point of this passage. It's a point we need to talk about. It's not the main point of this passage. He uses drunkenness here to provide a contrast and an illustration for a positive command. The contrast of being filled with the Spirit with being drunk is meant to teach us something very, very important. Paul is saying, don't let wine control you. Let the Spirit control you. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So if you look at there in your notes. To be filled with the Spirit, what does it mean? It means to be controlled by the Spirit. That's what that contrast teaches us. To be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. It means the Spirit of God is having His way in your life. You know, whatever you're filled by, you're controlled by. For example, if you're filled with fear, what are you controlled by? Fear. If you're filled with anger, what are you controlled by? Anger. If you're filled with the Spirit, who are you controlled by? The Spirit. Don't let wine or anything control you. Empty yourself of that. Let the Spirit have control. To be filled with the Spirit is to be totally dominated, controlled by the third person of the Trinity. Now this word, be filled, is a, is a really descriptive word. It's a really beautiful word that brings some beautiful imagery to the table. This word was used of wind that would fill feel, feel the sail of a, of a ship. You've seen ships on the sea with the, the large sails unfurled and, and the wind begins to blow and, and, and the sail is full and begins to propel the ship forward. This word, be filled, was also used in this day and time of salt permeating things as a preservative. And so here's the the point for you and for me. We are to allow the Holy Spirit of God to fill our spiritual cells. We're to allow the Spirit of God to permeate every area and every aspect of our lives. Let Him be in control. Now, you look at that word, that phrase, be filled. There's some, there's some grammatical things there that gives a lot of understanding into what that, that phrase, be filled, means. First of all, this uh, phrase, be filled, it, it's a verb and it's an imperative, which means it's a command. It's the second command of the passage. First command, don't get drunk with wine. Second command, be filled with the Spirit. And so this is not optional, The filling of the Spirit is not just something that we can get around to when we feel like it. It, Listen, if we are walking around and we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, that's disobedience. It's an imperative. Secondly, it's a plural. In other words, this, this idea of being filled with the Spirit is meant for all Christians. I want you to come in real close for a moment. This is not some command for super spiritual Christians or pastors or missionaries. This command to be filled with the Spirit is for everybody that names the name of Christ. This is the expectation for your life if you are saved. Third, it's in the passive voice, grammatically, which means the filling comes from an outside source. We can't fill ourselves. It's not talking about our strength. It's talking about the Spirit of God giving us strength. 
And then fourth, it's present tense. Which means that the filling of the Spirit is to be a repeated, continual event. This is to be an ongoing reality in our lives. Now I need to make some, some, uh, some observations here about the role of the Spirit in our life. Over in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, the Bible teaches that when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God came to take up residence on the inside of you. He came to live in you. That's called the sealing of the Holy Spirit. So being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean you get more of the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have all of the Spirit you're ever going to have. The third person of the Trinity lives in you right now. Amen? Amazing! So to be filled with the Spirit doesn't mean you get more of the Spirit. You have all of the Spirit. You are sealed with the Spirit. The sealing is a one-time completed event at the moment of conversion. The filling is present tense. It's a renewed, repeated, continuous reality for the Christian life. So let me say it like this. The filling of the Spirit does not deal with how much you have of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is all about how much the Spirit has of you. The sealing of the Spirit means that the Holy Spirit is resident in your life. The filling of the Spirit means the Holy Spirit is president of your life. He's in control. He's calling the shots. He's filling you up. He's flowing in and through you. And this is to be an ongoing, continuous reality for you and for me. So the question is this. Are you filled with the Spirit? Have you emptied yourself and then by faith surrendered all and asked the Holy Spirit to fill you up? This should be an ongoing reality in our lives. I learned from Bill Bright with Campus Crusade for Christ that when you blow it and you sin or your priorities get out of whack, you stop right then and you say, Lord, I'm sorry. That's not what I want in my life. Holy Spirit, would you fill me anew and afresh? And that may happen several times throughout the day. But there's this ongoing reality that I need the Spirit to fill me. And when you feel yourself being filled up by other things that aren't of God, empty yourself, confess it before the Lord, and ask the Spirit to fill you once again. And He'll do that. He'll give you that daily strength and power and wisdom you need To live the Christian life. A continuous, ongoing reality. So let me tell you what that means practically speaking. Today you're in a worship service and and, and you're you're hearing great worship music and the the Bible's being taught and preached, and you're in a you're you're you know you're you're in a, a a condition now where you're thinking about spiritual things, and today you're like, Yes, I want to be filled with the Spirit, fill me up. Present tense means not only should this affect your Sunday morning, this should also affect your Monday. Amen? This is not a a church thing. This is the way we ought to live our lives filled with the Spirit of God. So, stage one, empty. Stage two, filled. 
Stage three, overflowing. Paul begins to discuss the effects of the Spirit-filled life. When the Spirit fills you up, when the, the, the living water is flowing through you unhindered, it begins to, to, to overflow out of your life to others. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, there will be some visible, tangible indicators of that filling. And Paul gives them to us here. Let me give you three visible tangible indicators that you are filled with the Spirit of God. You ready? Number one, a passion for worship. A passion for worship. Look what he says there in verse 19. Don't get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Paul is saying here that When the Spirit of God fills you up, it will overflow with a passion for worship. And there's something interesting here that I want you to see. Notice that the context of this worship is this singing, addressing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. This means there's a corporate gathering of worshipers who are filled with the Spirit and they want to to worship with each other and point each other to Jesus. The Spirit-filled life is not some secret personal faith. I don't know how many times I've heard people say through the years, my faith is a private matter. Hey, listen, show me that in the Bible. You're just not going to find it. New Testament faith is public. It's unashamed worship for the one who has changed your life and saved your soul. And if you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, it will overflow into this passion for worship. Outward, public, joyful, overflowing. And notice there's a diversity in the worship here. Notice he mentions Psalms. New Testament church took the the Hebrew hymn book, the book of Psalms, and they would use those in worship. That's what the book of Psalms is. It's a hymn book. They would sing those psalms in, in worship. And one thing I see in today's landscape in uh, contemporary Christianity is I see a movement back towards the psalms. We're singing more and more psalms in our worship. That's a good thing. It's a hymn book. So he's saying sing these psalms as outward expressions of your faith. Then he mentions hymns. Hymns here probably speaks of those, that, those songs that were early Christian church songs that were written to teach important doctrinal truths about Christianity and glorify God. Now, someone reads this, I, I told you we should sing more hymns. Hey, look at me real quick. I know you know this, but just observation. The Baptist hymnal was not in production at this time. He's not talking about the Baptist hymnal. He's talking about songs that teach beautiful doctrines about the Lord and point people to Him and glorify Him. Now, there are songs in the Baptist hymnal that do that. And there are newer songs that aren't in the Baptist hymnal that do that. But there's a diversity. There, there, are these, there are these psalms they're singing. There are these hymns that they are singing. And spiritual songs. What are spiritual songs? These can be spontaneous songs of testimony and praise. Just a song that's, that glorifies Jesus. Maybe not with the same 
construction of a, of a doctrinal teaching that a hymn may have, but just a song that praises and glorifies Jesus. And notice what Paul says. When you're filled with the Spirit, there's this diversity of worship. He didn't say, oh, there's the, there's the psalm group over here, and there's the hymn group over here, and there's the spiritual songs group over here, does he? He didn't say that. Man, for years I've heard people say, well, you know what we ought to do when people have diversity of, of worship preferences? We ought to put them in different services. You know, put the hymn folks in one room and the, the, the spiritual songs folks in another room. That's not in the Bible. We need to be together, old and young, singing all of these songs together as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? There's a diversity here. A corporate reality here. The filling of the Spirit shows itself in your passion for worship. Let me tell you what I don't understand. And I'm not picking on anybody this morning because when I worship, I don't turn around and look at what you're doing. I don't understand. And this is mainly for men. I don't understand someone that says, I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus I've been saved. I've been born again. God loves me. I'm his friend. He's my father. But I'm going to cross my arms and not sing one syllable. I don't know who that's for because, again, I don't watch you. I went through a stage in my life where I didn't sing. True story. I was probably about eight or nine, and I was singing a song in church. We had the hymn book open there on the fourth pew, on the right side where we sat every week. My older brother, six years older than me, he looked at me and said, that sounds terrible. He told me I sounded terrible. He said, you know what I did? I closed my hymn book, put it down. I didn't sing again for years. And one day, my pastor's up there preaching. And he says something like I just said, hey, if you've been saved... There ought to be a joyful worship welling up in your heart. Why wouldn't you sing? And God used that, and as bad as it still sounds, I love to sing praises to Jesus. Man, I love, I love the old great hymns of the faith. I love the, the new stuff that's out there. And, and I love the psalms. I love the spiritual songs. And I love the great doctrinal realities that we sing in some of our... I just love it all. I just want to praise Jesus because he saved my soul. And when the Spirit of God is filling up my life, listen, no one has to beg me to go to church. No one has to convince me I need to go to church on Sunday. When the Spirit of God is filling up my life, it's overflowing. And part of that is passionate worship. Secondly, i got to hurry. because The Holy Spirit produces a passion for worship. The Holy Spirit produces deep gratitude. Look in verse 20. Verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always giving thanks for all things to the Father. That doesn't mean that we're necessarily thankful for all things. It's just, it just notes that... When we know Jesus Christ, our personal Lord and Savior, and God is our Father, no matter what we're going through, we know that God has it in His hand. We know that if it's good, 
Every good and perfect gift is from above, James 1.17. We know if it's bad, if it's hard, if it's difficult, that God will work everything together for the good of those who love him, to those called according to his purpose. God has it all in his hand, amen? And so whatever comes, the Spirit-filled Christian can say, thank you, God. I'm grateful for who you are and the way you work in my life. And, and notice there he says, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all in the name of Jesus because Jesus is the one who unlocks all spiritual blessings. Deep gratitude. Spirit-filled Christians don't have to wait for thanksgiving to be thankful. Amen? It's a way of life. And then third and last, the Holy Spirit produces an other's first attitude. Look in verse 21. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That word reverence there is the word fear, awe, surrender. It's this, it's this deep-seated respect for who the Lord is. This this. this this all for Jesus, King Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He says, if you're a Christian, you have this, this reverence for Christ. And the Spirit-filled Christian who has reverence for Christ begins to lay down their lives for others, submitting to others, putting others ahead of themselves and others first attitude this speaks of respect for others based upon your respect for Jesus now I want you to hear this when someone is radically others focused the world will take note because the other's focused life has an evangelistic flavor, doesn't it? An evangelistic aroma. When people are living in a, a very selfish and mean and cruel and bitter world, and they see someone in the power of the Spirit, supernatural favor on their lives, and they begin to break away from that worldly mold. And they begin to put others ahead of themselves and humbly serve others. Other folks look and say, what in the world's going on with them? I, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something different about their life. The Holy Spirit produces an other's first attitude. Which will mean that your light will shine. It has the capacity to move others toward the Lord. One of the sure marks or characteristics that you are filled with the Spirit, listen to me, is that you're not talking about or thinking about yourself. One of the sure marks that you are filled with the Spirit and filled to overflowing is that your life becomes a life that is all about others. That's what the Spirit of God will do in your life if you will give Him daily 
control of your life. So the three stages. Empty. Some of you this morning, we'll have an opportunity in just a moment. Some of you this morning just need to empty yourself of some stuff. Some stuff in your life that just doesn't look like Jesus. You need to confess it, get it out of your life. And then we all this morning need to be filled. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us anew and afresh. Empower us, control us, guide us. And the goal is that we would be, that we would all be overflowing with marks that the Spirit of God is at work in our life, that the river of living water is flowing unhindered in and through our life. That's what an overflowing life looks like. Now, isn't it interesting that this passage closes with speaking of others' focus, an others' focus, an others' first attitude. Because that's exactly what Jesus displayed when he left the splendor and the glory of heaven. Second person of the Trinity, eternal, equal with God, God himself. He left heaven, unceasing worship, adoration. He left heaven and he came to earth. He took on human flesh. The Bible says he emptied himself. He took on flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He took on the frailties and limitations of the flesh so that as the God-man living on this earth, he could go and suffer in our place and die in our place when he went to the cross. Taking our sin upon himself, taking the punishment that we deserve, dying for us. Jesus is the ultimate example of an other's first focus. And now we get to celebrate the death of Christ for us. Hey, look at me real quick. Aren't you glad Jesus loves you so much that he laid down his life? Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.